The third song, Oh Come, Let Us Adore, uh, I believe the shepherds, not only the shepherds, but I think the wise men really spent some time on that song. And uh, we're going to be talking more about that in a few moments. So first of all, we're going to talk about a miracle on Christmas Day, uh, a Christian office as a painting of an African man standing on the high on the hillside overlooking the ocean. And uh, a large steamship was on the horizon. A smaller canoe was coming toward the shoreline. And the painting really tells a story. And we're going to go back to 1908. John Perkins and his wife Jessica were on board of the steamship. They were rounding the coast of Liberia. And they knew God had called them to Africa, but they didn't know exactly where in Africa. And I think all of you would say, man, Africa is a big place, you know? Where are you going to land in that massive country? And so as the ship made its way around Garraway Bay, they sensed, the Perkins sensed, that God's Spirit was saying, this is the place. You need to get off the ship. And so unknown to the Perkins, there was a young man living in that region called Jasper Toe. He, was, he practiced the tribal rituals, which weren't very cool, but he had never heard of the name Jesus. And so one night, as he was standing outside his village, he looked up in the sky and he said, if there is a God in heaven, help me find you. Well... As Jasper stood under those stars, he said he heard a voice that he never heard before. And this is what the voice said. Go to Garraway Beach. You will see a box on the water with smoke coming out of it. And from that box on the water will come some people in a small box. These people in the small box will tell you how to find me. Well, Jasper Toe traveled seven days from his village to Garraway Beach, arriving on Christmas Day, 1908. And from the shore, he saw the black box floating on the water with smoke coming out of it. That's what you would call a steamship. And in it were John Perkins and his wife, and it was the place where they sensed God saying, this is where you need to get off. This is where I want you to go. And so they went to the captain of the ship, and they asked him if they could get off. And he said to him, you know, I can't do it. I can't can't let you off. This is dangerous ground. People that go in there never come out alive. And John Perkins insisted. He said, no, no, we need to get off here. And so the captain stopped the steamship, put them on a chair that swung them over the side of the ship, And the Perkins loaded everything into the canoe and rowed towards shore in that little box. When they got to shore, guess who was waiting for them? Jasper Toe. Yeah. And he welcomed them. Even though they couldn't understand each other's language, he used his hands to encourage them to follow him back to his village. And so the Perkins did. For the next seven days, they walked with him all the way back. Eventually, the Perkins learned the language of the village. They started a church in that village. 
And Jasper Toe was the first person to put his, put his faith in Jesus Christ. And those who knew Jasper all the way to the end of his life, they described him as one of the most godliest men they had ever known. And his legacy was that he helped plant over 100 churches in Liberia during that time. And friends, this morning, we just want to pause for a moment to think God was working all the way back in 1908. And you know what? He was working even 2,000 years ago by using a star to encourage some wise guys to make a trip, not only to Jerusalem, but ultimately to Bethlehem, where they could worship not only a king, but the true king. He's the king of kings. He is the king of kings. There is nobody else that comes close. And so Jesus, king overall in your notes, we're going to read Matthew chapter 2. We're going to just uh, hit the first two, three verses, and then we'll, we'll press on. Matthew 2, verse 1, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to take a photograph. No, no, no. We have come to worship him. You know what I, I, I think is so cool? These are men. These are professional men. They're intelligent. They're wealthy. They've traveled. And yet, they're not trying to build a resume. They're coming to what? to worship Jesus. I think that's pretty cool. They said, we saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone else in Jerusalem. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this Christmas 2023 that you have given us your word, the Bible, to communicate what happened at your birth, Lord, and even beyond. And we're grateful this morning that you came as the Savior of the world to rescue us from being permanently, eternally separated from you. And so you came as a baby, grew to a man, went to the cross, went into the grave, came out of that grave, paying Our sin debt in full. What a gift. What a gift that is. And so we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather. And for those watching online, they too will experience the great love of God this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. King Jesus, listen. We're not going to put our head in the sand. We're not going to pretend, you know, everything is rosy in our world. We know we live in a broken world. And there may be some of you this morning, and even those of you watching online, that you have carried a heavy burden this past year, and even in the past years. And every time Christmas rolls around on the calendar, you kind of tense up on the inside because it's a reminder of the pain of somebody missing in your life. Memories that haunt you. 
And we're encouraged today that we don't have to really put a, a blanket over our head and hope things get better. But somebody actually put this to words, and I think it's very good source of encouragement. They said Christmas continues to be bittersweet at times because of all the memories connected to it and all the moments that will not be until we meet in heaven one day. In a short time, I lost my father, my mother, and two of my three brothers in unexpected and tragic ways. To say the least, Christmas has never been the same, and yet as a believer, it is such a blessing and comfort to know that we find our hope in him. And he will heal those sad places in our hearts. Listening to other believers share their story encourages all. And I can honestly say that I have never felt more loved and comforted by the Lord than in this season through his word, through worship, teaching, and the encouragement of other believers. Emmanuel, God with us. Isn't that cool? God is with us is a mighty truth, a powerful river of hope, deeper than the deepest pain, and as enduring as eternity. And so I just want to encourage you, whatever you have lived through this year or the past years, and you've carried that burden with you, you have a Savior that understands. We are encouraged to cast our cares, our burdens on him. Why? Because he cares for us. It's an amazing thing. You might be here this morning or even watching online because your grandmother made you come today. Because <laughs> this is what we do, man, you know, on, on Christmas or Christmas Eve. We go to church. Maybe you haven't been in church for a long time. You know what? That's okay. That's okay. Because here's the deal. God created you, and he's on a search for you. He knows exactly where you live. He knows exactly what you're thinking, all the pushback that's occurred in your life. And he's pursuing you out of a great love because why? He wants to have a relationship with you. It's an incredible thing. The God of the universe who created everything, just spoke it into being, loves you so much that he wants to have that intimate relationship with you. It's an amazing thing. So, number one in your notes, the greatest news. It's the greatest news. Verse 1a Jesus was born in Bethlehem during, in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Now, we're going to talk about King Herod in a moment, but man, you talk about landing in a hostile environment, right? I mean, you would think, God, will you please send me on an island where I'll be loved and endured, you know? No, no, no. God planted his son in an environment where King Herod hated anybody that will be a threat to his kingdom. And it impacted the entire culture all around him. But we see that Jesus came. John eight twelve says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. We just heard a song about that. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So, so the greatest news is that we don't have to walk in darkness but we have the light of Jesus Christ. So why did Jesus come? Why, why did he leave a, really a perfect environment in heaven where he had angels around him, worshiping him, you know? They were just having a great time. And he comes to this planet as a baby. 
Well, Philippians 2, 6 and 7 kind of peels back why. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So why did Jesus come? He, he came to reveal God to you and me, to give us a picture of what God is like with some skin on. And that's pretty cool. And so in Matthew one twenty one, just a, a chapter before our text today, an angel was visiting Joseph, and he said, you're to name him Jesus, and Jesus means the Lord saves, which kind of gives an indication why he came, the Lord saves, for he will save his people from their sins. And this morning, we're going to hear about the, the wise men searching for the Messiah, Jesus. But you need to know that Jesus is searching for you out of his great love. So why did Jesus come? We see in Luke, Luke 19.10, from the Son of Man, Jesus said, came to seek and to save those who are lost. I was lost. There was a time in my life when I was spiritually lost. And God came after me. And I'm so glad he did. He didn't give up on me so I could have a relationship with him. Number two, wise men show up. So Jesus is born. And because of that, wise men show up, verse 1b. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star, not somebody's star, his star, as it rose, and we have come to worship him. We've come to worship him. So where, where are these wise men? They're in Jerusalem. They're not in Bethlehem. They, the star leads them all the way to Jerusalem. And these wise men were dudes that studied the stars. They studied astronomy. They, they looked at those starry hosts as uh, indicating world events. And the Greek word magos means those who have wisdom through investigation and interpretation of the movements of heavenly bodies. Heavenly bodies would be the stars. So they watched the stars. And they noticed, man, there was a star that came up they had never seen before. And the cool thing is, many believe that these wise men came out of Babylon. And guess, we've been in a series at Life Church over the past year about, in the book of Daniel, and many believe that this is the area that the wise men came, that Daniel, even though he had lived and been exiled from his family, had impacted that culture, specifically the wise men in Babylon so much, that it made them aware that the prediction, it had been predicted that the Messiah would come to Bethlehem. And so these wise men, even though that was 500 years earlier, really had Daniel, you know, we, we respect Daniel. We admire Daniel. We know that the kind of life he lived, the impact he made in our community, the community of wise men, because Daniel at that time, of course, was the head of the wise men, and he influenced them. And so we see that 
The wise men see this star. They recognize that there had been a prophecy that the Messiah would come into the world. And so they did something about it. They had a decision to make. Would they follow the star to where it led? Or would they just stay back in Babylon and stay in their comfort zone and just chill? Well, they voted and they made a decision, we're going to go. We're going to follow the star no matter what. No matter what it costs, we're going to show up. And so um, you kind of look at this con- contingent that shows up in Jerusalem. If you got a Christmas card this year and it shows the manger with three kings, you know, that's not true. That's not accurate of what the Bible says. Because it doesn't tell you how many of these wise men showed up. But when you do some backstory research, you'll, you'll realize that there were probably up to 300 people that came with the wise men. They had military escorts. They had servants because they had so much stuff that they brought with them. Why? As gifts to give to the king. They wanted to celebrate the birth of the Messiah in a spectacular way. So you can imagine 300 dudes, man, showing up in Jerusalem in all their splendor. And word on the street came to King Herod. And um, well, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Um, verse two, they come in and they say, hey, where's the king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we've come to worship him. Notice God sent a star. I think it's pretty cool. You go to Jasper, um, all the way back in Liberia and how God, one man searching for God and look at all the detail God had involved with sending the Perkins as missionaries to tell him the story about Jesus. And you look at these wise men showing up a thousand to 1200 mile trip that took months to get to Jerusalem and they're asking, hey, there's got to be, you know, there's got to be parades. There's got to be news sources out there taking photographs of the spectacular event. And they're asking, and nobody seems to know what's going on. They, have, they don't have a clue. They stop and ask a police officer, because police know where everything is in the city, right? They ask moms in grocery stores. Nobody seemed to know. And so finally... Because of that 300 men entourage, they end up on the front door of King Herod's palace. And so they ring his doorbell and he invites them in because he sees, man, these dudes are wealthy, you know, they look important. And so they have this conversation. And I am so grateful, like Psalm 19, one says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God speaks through his creation. God spoke through that star to the wise men. And God continues to speak to you, to me, to those that you know even today. And we're grateful for that. Number three, trouble in Jerusalem. What happens? What happens? King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. 
as was everybody else in Jerusalem. That word, deeply disturbed. If you have a washing machine in your house, specifically if it's on your main floor, and it's in the spin cycle, what does it do? It shakes everything in the house, right? So tomorrow when you're doing wash, well, maybe not on Christmas, but maybe on Tuesday, you'll put your wash in, and when you feel that vibration, you'll think of Herod. Because that's the, what the Greek word means, agitated, spinning um, violently, you know? And, and uh, he was really upset because these wise men come in. And it says that when he heard this, so these wise men tell him, hey, we're here. We understand that the, the king has been born. And immediately Herod goes into panic mode because it's a threat to his kingdom. He doesn't like that. King, uh, this dude, Herod, man, he's not a nice guy. And it says everyone else in Jerusalem was disturbed too. Why? Why Why is that? Because the people, the citizens of Jerusalem knew Herod long enough to know this guy is not happy. When he's not happy, nobody's happy. He makes life miserable for everybody. And you can't trust him. If he's angry, he'll kill people. And so because Herod was disturbed, it, it was contagious to all the populace in Jerusalem themselves. And they themselves were disturbed. Like, oh no, we're going to have some more trouble in the city. So what happens? Number four, on to Bethlehem or not. So here's the thing. We have a choice. We have some options. We can go to Bethlehem as we're tracking with the wise men, or or we could stay behind in Jerusalem. And let's take a look at verse four, because we have some options here. He called that's Herod, called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people. That's a prophecy from the book of Micah 700 years earlier. And so Herod is looking for answers, and he gets it right away from his wise guys. The Pharisees, the scribes, the religious community, they knew the answer, which is kind of strange. They didn't get in Google, you know, dial it up and say, where is the Messiah going to be born? They knew the answer immediately. No research, nothing. So Herod, Herod's our first option. We can say, okay, Staying in Jerusalem, going to Bethlehem, what did Herod do? Well, he, he, was, he was threatened, of course. And why did the community in Jerusalem panic along with him? Because Herod killed his own wife. He killed her two brothers. He killed his own mother. He killed his oldest son and two other sons. And he murdered all of them because they, they, he thought they were going to take over his kingdom for the crime of being of treason. And Herod was married nine times in order to strengthen his political ties. So that kind of gives you an idea. This guy was not happy, you know? It wasn't like when your kids were little, when you grow up, you want to be like King Herod. No, you, don't, you, you didn't want that to happen. Because this guy was brutal, man. So, so Augustus, the Roman emperor, was giving a little speech about this man Herod. 
And he said, it's more safe to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Because he saw what kind of life this dude lived. In fact, when Herod was dying, he knew the people hated him. So because he wanted some emotion at his death, he imprisoned elite citizens in Jerusalem. So that when word got out that he died, people wouldn't be crying for him. They'd be crying for all these other citizens that were killed with him at the same time. So it would make him feel better even though he was dead. But he wanted some raw emotion at the time of his death. So the guy was weird, man. Messed up. So I don't know about you, but I want to put my hand up for Herod. I don't want to follow this guy's example. Would you? No. Number two, the religious. We take a look at verse four. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? What's interesting is these religious guys had studied Scripture, the Old Testament, all of their lives. They had it memorized. They knew it forward and backwards. And you would think that when the wise men came and said that the Messiah had been born, that they would say, hey, sign me up. I'm going to follow with you. It's only a six-mile trip. You could see it on the map there. You know, six miles. How long does it take you to walk six miles? Or you could take the train. There's a bus that comes by. Not really. They didn't have that back then. But anyway, you would think they would jump on and say, yeah, we're going we're gonna to go with you. So when, he, when, when Herod called this meeting, verse 5, in Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this was what the prophet wrote. Who was the prophet? Micah. In the Old Testament, chapter 5, verse 2. Like I mentioned, 700 years earlier, Micah prophesied that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And so the question is, hey, the religious dudes, how come you're not in Bethlehem? How come you're not fired up? And they just seem to be apathetic. Like, it's no big deal. Looking for the Messiah? We like it here around the palace. You know, here it's taking care of us. We've got our comfort. That's really all we want. And so the question is, what would you do if you were watching It's a Wonderful Life and somebody told you, hey, we could go see the Messiah? Would you say, no, I want to keep watching It's a Wonderful Life? I'll put that on hold and I'm going to go to Bethlehem, right? What would you do? What would you do? Well, let's hope. There's enough grit inside of us to say, you know what? I want to go see the Messiah, just like these wise men. And number three, the wise, you look at their response. Verse nine, after this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. You know, this is no ordinary star. And if you want to use your imagination, I, I kind of let my mind go. This is a star that whoop, stops, whoop, stops, disappears for a while, shows up again. Whoop. And you might think, does God have the ability to make a guiding star just for the wise men? And I think if we took a vote this morning, we could say, yeah, yeah, we, he can do that. 
Because when you look at the people of, of the Israel, when they came out of Egypt, God prepared a pillar of fire by night to guide them through the desert or a cloud to cover them. The cloud moved, it stopped. The pillar of fire moved, it stopped. If God could do that, he's not going to run out of propane, you know, to keep that fire burning. No, he's got all the resources. And so he creates this star, spoke it just for the wise men to get them to where his son Jesus was. Notice it moved, the star moved. When they moved, the star moved. When they're in Jerusalem, it says it went ahead of them. The star led them to Jesus. So we can ask the question, okay, we've got Herod, we've got the religious community, we've got the wise men. Where, where would we fall in? Stay in Jerusalem or go to Bethlehem? What would you do? Huh? What would you do? <laughs> it's unanimous. Well, I'll go to Bethlehem. Good job. And so um, we have that endorsement. This, this star that had guided them over a thousand miles, and, and this is the other interesting thing. This is a star they saw, they recognized it. And that star was, was uh, available to be seen by everybody else. They didn't have these special glasses on. Oh, I see the star. And when you take your glasses off, it disappears. You know, they have that kind of stuff floating around. No, no, it was a star that would be seen by the natural eye. And everybody had the ability to see that star. But nobody seemed curious. Nobody seemed to be hungry to see God in the flesh. And friends, that's so easy to happen in our lives even here and now. That life gets so busy or it gets so... Like it's, everything's changing so rapidly. We lose our equilibrium and God is, you know, we kind of put them up on the shelf. I'll get to you later. No, this is an opportunity to drill down in that relationship with the Lord and pursue him. And so when, the, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Now, when you think of the word joy, what comes to your mind? You know, you put a smile on your face. Oh, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. You know, we think men, men, they can get excited at a football game, but they can't get fired up at church. Right? Isn't that true? Um, you know, I'm a man. And so I have to be cool. You know, I have to keep my emotions, you know, whoo, keep a handle on them. But I, I think it, it, this just reinforces something for all of us. Um, the message puts it this way. They could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place. They had arrived at the right time. Literally, it means they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. You know what that means? They jumped up and down. Yeah, it means they jumped up and down. They were fired up, man. They gave each other high fives and they shouted, cool, baby. Joy, they couldn't contain it. And that was fuel, man, for that entire trip. 
thousand mile trip and here they are so close, six miles to go and they see the stars show up again. Oh, I'm so full of joy. Why? Because God endorsed their trip. It was God showing up again. Guys, this is not a waste of time. You keep persevering. You keep pressing on until you cross that finish line. And so, number five, inside the house, verse 11, they entered the house, saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. This is another thing, man, for these are guys. Guys aren't supposed to get, you know, emotional in worship, you know, right? They can raise their hands at a football game, but you can't do it in church, all right? Is that true or false? <laughs> yeah, so they, they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You want to circle that word child. Notice it doesn't say baby. Because the wise men were not at the manger when Jesus was born. It took them... Uh, several months to get to Jerusalem. And by this time, they, they believe that Jesus was between one and two years old already. He, he was no longer an infant. He was a toddler zipping around the house in diapers. Yeah, that was Jesus. Now, the word child means young child in training. And so... Jesus is in this home, and it's not at the manger. It's not in the manger. It's not in the cave. It's not in the stable. It's in a house. By this time, Mary and Joseph have found a house to rent in Bethlehem. And where's Joseph? You don't see Joseph in the house. He's out working, you know, at this time of day. So the wise men didn't come to Christ to introduce themselves. Hey, we're the wise guys from Babylon. You're so fortunate to have us show up, you know, in your house. Will you please sign my book? You know, that's not what they want. They just came to worship. So, A, give yourself to Jesus. Verse 11a, they bow down in worship. That word means to fall down, prostrate, to adore on one's knees, to worship with all necessary physical gestures of worship. These dudes, man, when they came into this house and they saw Jesus, he was not sitting on a throne. He didn't have a bunch of pomp, you know, servants all around him. No. When they saw Jesus, they recognized that he was the Messiah and they fell to their knees and they worshiped him. They expressed their awe and wonder to him. And so... You talk about wisdom. These wise men had the wisdom not to bow down in front of Herod. They had the wisdom to realize that Herod is going to come and go, but this Messiah, he will always be king. He will be the king of kings and lord of lords. And so they worshiped him. I like the way these men worship too because... It wasn't just going out on the street saying Merry Christmas to the people that were walking down the street with them or humming We Three Kings. No, they weren't into that either. 
They were there to worship Jesus. They bowed down. The message says they entered the house and saw the child in the arms of Mary, his mother. Overcome, they kneeled and worshiped. And B, give your gifts to Jesus. Verse 11b, then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, how many two-year-olds do you know that say, what would you like for Christmas? I'd like some gold. I'd like some frankincense and some myrrh. How many two-year-olds would do that? Huh? I was thinking back when I was a little dude, man. I saw some pictures of myself and around the Christmas tree, and I had a fire truck. Huh? A big fire truck, you know? Yeah, that's what boys like, fire trucks and other things. I wasn't into gold yet. How about you? When you were two? Gold, man, give me gold. No, no. These wise men recognized what Jesus was. The gold, because this child would one day become the king of kings. The frankincense, because they recognized he would become a high priest, representing the people to God. And third, myrrh, because it's used for embalming. They would, they recognized that this king, this high priest, would one day die for the sins of the world. And so he would give his ultimate gift, his life, the forgiveness of sin for you and for me. Now, when you look at this entourage again, 300 people showing up in front of Jesus' house, you can imagine the excitement. And when they're talking about bringing gifts in, it's not these little boxes. They had servants with to haul in all of this stuff in honor to the king. They kept bringing it in, bringing it in, bringing it in. You are king. You are the king. Not only are we going to worship you, we're going to give you special gifts because you are worthy of it all. And so we too, not only when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, but we can bring gifts to the Lord, you know? So true. Our gifts, our talents, our resources, out of gratitude for all that Jesus has done for us. And then number six, trust and obey, verse 12. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So these men had spent a lot of time with Jesus, worshiping him and celebrating with him with all these gifts. And they went to sleep that night. And it was in, during that time that God spoke to them and said, you need to go home a different way. And so instead of, you know, building a little monument out in front and charging people to come see the Messiah, no, they didn't do that. They chose to go back a different way. And that different way, it was a reminder that they had the privilege of seeing the Messiah, not only seeing him, but worshiping him, not only worshiping him, but giving him gifts to honor who he was. And friends, we can do that as well. We can worship him. We've done that this morning. We can do that all the time, not just in church. Church is cool, man. It's the closest thing to heaven you'll ever experience. When God's people to come together in a place, 
Heaven's going to be the same thing. God's people come together and they celebrate Jesus. And so, man, we can look to the wise men this morning as a great reminder of pursuing Christ in a broken world. If you open the Phoenix newspaper on June 11th, 2015, you'd find a picture of a young Armenian immigrant, 24 years old, and on the the title, the headline, it was Phoenix Man Gets Four and a Half Years. And what happened was this young man had let a friend spend the night in his apartment. He got kicked out of his place, and so as a friend, he said, yeah, you could stay in my apartment. But he, his friend was intoxicated, and he grew violent. And he pulled out a knife and attempted to kill his friend that had let him spend the night. To protect himself, this man picked up a chair and hit this drunken friend over the head. And it killed him. He didn't mean to kill him, but he killed him. And so with another friend, they brought this body out into the desert. You know, they were going to bury him out there. Well, somebody saw him and, of course, notified the police. So on his first night in jail, a sense of despair overcame him. And at that moment, he remembered his grandmother having this habit of reading the Bible. And so he fell on his knees and he asked God for help. God, will you help me? I'm in trouble. I don't know what to do. And so two days later, this guy, Manikin, got a copy of a Bible from a friend, an inmate in the prison. Not only that, but somebody else gave him a tattered copy of a prison magazine featuring the story of a fellow Armenian, Roger Munchkin, and his story of faith in Jesus Christ. So Maniconian had a Bible, and he had a Christian magazine. And he wrote to Roger, and this is what he says. I wrote Roger and was surprised when he came to visit me at my jail cell. He told me about Christ's unshakable love for me. God loved me so much, he said, that he wasn't going to let me walk this journey alone. I soon asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior and Lord. The seeds that my grandmother had planted in my youth finally began to sprout. As I grew in my faith, God gave me a love and compassion for those around me. And I longed to reach at least one person for Christ. Well, shortly thereafter, he led Joey, another inmate, to faith in Christ. Now today... Mankoyakin is a mechanic with a Christian-owned shop. And he said, I spend time restoring cars. I love transforming crumpled, discarded steel into something beautiful in my shop, just like God transformed my crumpled life in his shop called prison. Pretty cool. A grandmother, a fellow inmate, and a writer of a magazine, all used by God, to bring a prisoner to faith in Jesus Christ. God uses stars. God uses people, just like you and me. God uses circumstances so that ultimately we can put our faith in Jesus Christ. John 14, 27, Jesus makes this promise. I'm leaving you with a gift. It's peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled. 
are afraid. And this morning, friend, the most important decision you can make, like the wise men, is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus, you went to the cross. You paid for my sin dead and full. I recognize that. Sin will keep me away from a holy God. Today, I'm putting all my trust, all of my weight in you, Jesus. You are who you say you are, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So thank you for forgiving me of my sin. And I will live for you the rest of my life through the power of your Holy Spirit. So thank you, Lord. The greatest Christmas gift you could ever have is this gift of salvation. Will you do it? Thank you, Lord, for your word today. The great love that you have for us. You are the Prince of Peace. For that we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.